0: Welcome, everybody, to Sober. That's stories of badgers and power and recovery. Now this is a podcast for Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and my name is Aaron Claiborne. I'm the outreach specialist for the Engagement to Recovery Program with Wisconsin Voices for Recovery and the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health. I'm a certified recovery coach and a state-certified naloxone trainer. Now, Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve as a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. So joining me today is Marissa Van Zyle. Marissa is a Chicago Chippewa tribal member, and she's a peer support specialist at the Chicago Chippewa Community Clinic, and she works in the Behavioral Health Department where she provides support and resources for community members. Now let's welcome Marissa, and please, Marissa, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself including your professional background and current role.
1: Thank you. And uh, I'm just going to introduce myself in my language. Um, so, um, my name is Marissa Vanda. I'm a peer support specialist. and. Um, my role includes providing resources for community members that are seeking recovery, that are already in recovery, and also those with mental health issues. Um, I provide um, groups within the community, and I also provide one-on-one services for people. And just any any types of um, connection to community resources, um, such as housing, education, um, anything to help um, get people through recovery successfully
0: it's wonderful wonderful all around, all around services is what's needed with that role and support and supporting others that's great stuff thank you all right so i'm gonna get into a few questions right now and i would like to start with some uh, questions about your personal experience with drugs and alcohol so my first question is how were you introduced to drugs and alcohol
1: I was introduced to drugs and alcohol at a very young age. I want to say probably like one of my earliest memories probably included um, being surrounded by people that were using drugs and alcohol, and um, and it's still present in my life today.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, can, I can relate to some of that early exposure. All right, so now I'd like to ask you, what was appealing to you about using drugs and or alcohol? What was the... the- the attraction
1: the appeal for me was that it was so normal in the community that i lived in Uh, my friends were using my family members were using and i didn't start out with wanting to do it i actually was like i'm never going to use Yeah, yeah and yeah and then it just became like Hey, that you know everybody else is doing it, so um, the curiosity struck me.
0: Yeah, definitely, I, I relate to that as well. I said the same thing, and it happened the same way. That curiosity and that peer pressure. Okay, so so after that experience, what led you? What led you to continue using uh, drugs and alcohol at that point?
1: So um, I started using. Um, probably when I was about 12 years old and after my first time using, I just realized that, Hey, this, this could be a solution to the problems I had been facing most of my life at that point. And the issues that I was facing was like intrusive thoughts from like a traumatic childhood. And it just really offered me an escape from the mental health issues that I was facing.
0: Yeah, I, I know. I, I use that same temporary suppressant in my life, man. It it is so, um, you know, so intriguing how um, this is a almost a standard practice uh, for for us individuals who have used substances to you know escape those feelings and those traumatic events. I can relate to that as well. All right, so now I'd like to ask you how long. Um, were you addicted to drugs and alcohol, Alcohol, or how long did you use for?
1: I used from the age of 12 to the age of 30, so it was a total of 18 years.
0: Okay. All right, so now I'm going to switch courses a little bit and uh, ask you, what did you experience that finally led you to, to, to your path of recovery?
1: Um, for, like, my last years using um, I would wake up every single day um, after a night of use, and I would feel dread, terror, regret, guilt, shame. And I didn't really know what that all meant. I didn't know where that was coming from. I, I didn't really take any time to explore that. And ultimately, the last two weeks of my use, um, I ended up drinking with one of my good friends who was, um, she was a mentor to me. She was like a mother to me and she ended up getting very ill. She was actually one of the last, last people that I actually used with and, um, she passed away. And so, um, so for, cultural purposes, something that we do to help us mourn is we give something up for a year. And so I chose to give up alcohol during that year to help me mourn. And I just kept it going year after year. And um, now I'm here almost 11 years sober.
0: That is awesome. And and it's really deep. Um, You know, that what you explained about um, the way your culture mourns, that is, that is an, an awesome, you know, eye-opening path to recovery or, uh, any kind of accomplishment or achievement that you choose to, um, move forward. But I thought that, I think that's awesome what you did and, uh, how you continued it and the uh, entire story. This woman was a person that you, um, had used with, uh, and, and, obviously she was very close to you and, um. You know, you you found your recovery from that tragedy, from that tra- traumatic uh, event. I, I, that's really
1: yeah. I just like to add, Erin, that um, she actually passed away due to complications from her use.
0: Yeah, that, that-
1: so it was, you know, there was, you know, a connection on, you know, different levels with um, what was going on with her, and you know what ultimately led to. Her passing was living that life. You know, she was. I want to say she was probably in her sixties. So she lived her whole life like that, um, being addicted.
0: Wow. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, uh, I'm glad something great came out of it. Thank you. Okay. So, oh, you're welcome. So now I'd like to ask you, how are you able to find recovery? What uh, resources that you use or your methods or paths to recovery?
1: Well, uh, my first year was the most difficult. I didn't know where to go. Um, I didn't know how to be sober i I didn't know how to adapt to that new lifestyle. Um, so I just kind of relied on my own personal resources where i just took myself out of those types of situations and then Mm -hmm. um at the end of my first year i found um i started learning more about historical trauma and how Mm -hmm. that's rooted how that's at the roots of addiction and so i just started exploring that more and kind of going on my own personal journey of of healing and dealing just with a, with my own personal trauma as well
0: yeah definitely that historical trauma makes such a uh a difference it's really eye-opening um that's one of the uh, one of my favorite subjects uh to talk about when i'm speaking with, speaking to individuals about trauma and um you know like family dynamic uh, it, it certainly runs for generations and generations. Okay, so now I would like to ask you, what barriers um, uh, do you see or did you encounter when finding recovery within that Native America community?
1: Definitely the lack of support and resources. Um, like I said with the previous question is, that first year, I didn't know where to go I didn't know there were were any places that I could go to. I I was pretty much um, things were put on hold for me like seeking things out because I didn't know they existed and then also there was that stigma involved where it was just kind of like gee well if I do go like say to our local clinic or where there are most people that work there are non-native are they going to look down on me. So that just really put a hindrance on me actually going and reaching out. Um, but yeah, just getting back to the question, like what were some barriers that I encountered would be my own um, thoughts about it and just being afraid of being judged by others.
0: Yeah, that, that is, <laughs> um, you know, that, can certainly be a barrier that stigma and maybe even a little self stigma, but all around stigma can definitely be probably the biggest, uh, hurdle or barrier to, uh, recovery, um, that, that exists. Um, yeah, going into a place and knowing what you did, it feels like somebody else know what you've done and they're going to instantly judge you. So that stigma is really, um, really really powerful and that's what I'm actually about to get into next a couple of questions about stigma okay so um i'd like i would like to ask you before you begin your recovery journey what type of stigma did you experience personally and uh and how did it impact you
1: wow um so um before i found recovery i felt like Definitely being seen as, um, if people knew that I was using, I didn't really share that with a lot of people. It wasn't like a public thing I put out there because I didn't want to be seen as weak. I didn't want to be labeled a drunk Indian. I didn't want to be seen as not capable. Um, And then, yeah, it just really falls back on that whole judgment thing. I really... Even even if people weren't judging me, I was still thinking that they were judging me.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. That's how that stigma works. All right. So um, next question is how did how did the stigma associated with substance use disorder um, deter or prevent you from seeking
1: recovery? Again, you kind of touched on it. I think we addressed this. Yeah, yeah. it's it's just really it just comes down to that, all that judgment. And then, like I said in the previous question, it's just like, even though realistically everybody's not judging you, you still think that they are because it's so internalized.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's that's a horrible feeling. I, I know that feeling too. All right. Next question. It's another question about stigma. So I'd like to know what type of stigma do you experience currently, if you do, uh, both, both professionally and personally, and how does it impact you now?
1: Uh, I would say currently, professionally and personally, I feel like if somebody knows that I had this history, um, there's going to be some people out there that are going to feel like they can't trust me because, hey we know this person used to be an addict and there's those stereotypes attached to, to addicts that, you know, like they can't be touched. Okay. They can't be trusted. Um, they can't be trusted with um, like material things. Um, they can't be trusted with information. And um, I think a lot of that might come from um, like people in higher positions mm-hmm. and where it just kind of makes them liable for things. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably a really big one is just, um, that trust.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, um, but, uh, along with that, there's a, a bunch of other things, uh, lack of knowledge, understanding, empathy, uh, you know, non-compassionate and really not even understanding the, the brain disorder and, and the, that disorder of, of substance use, um. And you know that knowledge, that understanding, that learning, that that learning process about addiction can be so instrumental in, in for those who don't understand it and who who place this ju- these judgments and this stigma uh, upon people. Uh, you know that that is very important to address as well. So, uh, thank you for that. So now I'm gonna ask you a little bit about the community uh, that you grew up in and the impact of. Uh, alcohol uh, and other drugs in the community. So living in a community or environment where drugs and alcohol were readily available, what was the peer pressure like for you to get involved with using drugs?
1: Uh, The peer pressure was pretty intense. Um, Wow. Especially with the, the people that I chose to hang around with um, it was, it was more of um, giving you like stature, like you know how much you used and how often you used, yeah. and it was like, um, like if you had a higher tolerance, um, you would be seen as you know like something impressive to your friends and to family, and it was really more of like a social thing Mm -hmm. and that, and it really was, it was, it was a huge, it's a huge part of our social life. You know, it's acceptable to use certain drugs. It's acceptable to use alcohol because that's legal.
0: Yeah, definitely. um, I'm glad you touched on that because, you know, as soon as you said it, I started thinking back, uh, you know, to my, my usage, and there was almost a competitive element to it. Like, you know, let me see, let's see who can drink the most. Or after the night is done, you know, you get commended for it. Man, you drank a whole fifth and you were still walking, you know. Um, <laughs> right. It is, uh, that was really very, uh, <laughs> you know, I like, I, I enjoy, I, I'm, I appreciate you pointing that out, is what I'm saying. Uh, it, like I said, it just immediately sparked something in me. All right. Thanks. Um, okay. So next question, uh, would you please describe what the availability of illicit street drugs looks like in your community now?
1: Okay. So, um, this is going to touch a little bit more on something that I'm not a hundred percent familiar with, but, um, I have family members and I'm out there in the community. And what I've heard time and time again is, these things can be obtained just by a phone call and it's like round the clock. Whereas like with alcohol use, you, you know, stores only sell alcohol from this hour to that hour. Mm-hmm. Um, drugs are available 24 hours a day. Mm.
0: Just the phone call. Huh?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Um, so going through your time of use, um, And then that availability, how did that impact um, your substance use and recovery, that availability of illicit street drugs? What kind of impact did that have on your life?
1: Well, um, I can touch on this just a little bit, but um, just to be clear, my drug of choice was alcohol. Okay. And so... um, it definitely having access to it, such easy access to it, like, you know, like I talked about in the previous question. So, with um, drugs, they could just be a phone call away. But then, alcohol, on the other hand, is easy access as well because it's legal. Right. Right. So, I would say um, it definitely impacted it by making it easy to use and to keep using. Yeah.
0: Uh, Just, you know, if you know it closes at a certain hour, which is a thing that I used to do, I would stock up, (laughs) you know, made sure I had more than enough for the night. So next question. Now, I want to know, what do you think perpetuates the cycle of the distribution or the sale of illicit street drugs in your community? Why Uh, do these individuals continue to sell illicit street drugs? Or why do more individuals come into the community, or maybe who are already in the community and decide to sell drugs? Why does this keep happening? Well, what is your opinion? I think,
1: um, like people that are, you know, they're making money off of it. The dealers, um, they're definitely targeting communities like my own because we, you know, we have a lack of resources. We have a lack of support, so that's a just a prime market for people to target. Like these people are, you know, they're they're struggling, they're in pain, and they want to remedy that, and so it's just the the perfect market. They're probably thinking, and so um, when I talk about lack of resources, um, specifically, I'm talking about like um, employment and housing, um, just you know, getting proper medical help and also mental health.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you, um, what do you think perpetuates the cycle of drug addiction in your community? And I think you're probably gonna just touch on what you just said in the previous question.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely the lack of resources, um, lack of supports, and um stigma and it's really and this just really falls under the lack of support and resources would be um lack of care for trauma and this goes from historical trauma generational trauma to just personal trauma as well um just being able to um find awareness like that these are real issues that people have and all the way from the professional level to people recognizing it to us individuals that have experienced it.
0: Yeah. yeah. So no resources, um, no positive resources or reinforcements in the community. You want to go to what's, what's available, huh? Which is those substances and alcohol. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Very well spoken. All right. So why did you, Uh, think that it continues to be an issue specifically in communities of color
1: I think collectively we we experience more oppression and um, collectively and this is just my opinion is I think collectively we just have a lack of confidence um and this just reaches back to that historical trauma where a lot of things were taking away from us. And um, and there's just, there's so much. On one end, there's, there's the stigma. And then on the other end, there's acceptance too. So it's just enabling and perpetuating addiction in our communities.
0: All right, okay. Good stuff, very good stuff. All right, so I'm going to change it up a little bit, um, and I want to ask you some questions uh, pertaining to reflecting on challenges uh, to recovery in the Native American community. So circling back to your personal journey in recovery, uh, what have you learned that inspires you to continue maintaining your recovery?
1: Uh, I took a deep dive into learning about historical trauma and Dealing with my own personal traumas and um, just finding a way to to heal that, and that's a it's a long process. And um, something that inspired me also is, and was a huge huge part of my recovery and still is, and I think will continue to be, is hearing other people's stories and being able to relate to other people and knowing that. You know, I'm not alone.
0: Yeah, very powerful, very connecting. Definitely. All right, so after finding recovery and reflecting on your previous uh, alcohol substance use, what did you learn about yourself?
1: I learned that, um, we talked about this um, a little bit earlier, was the fact that, you know, I, I was waking up my during my last like year or so using was I would wake up feeling shame and dread and guilt and I started exploring that after I sobered up and I realized that it was connection that's what I was missing and so Mm. I realized that I'm worthy of having that real connection I got to accept that for myself and that was that took a while too but I realized that um, I'm worthy of that. And a, a lot of things were out of my control and I, and I had to learn to accept that as well.
0: Yeah, I love that answer. I really do. I love that hearing some, a person, an individual express uh, how, how much of a difference that connection makes. That is very important. Very important. and And, and understanding and knowing that you deserve that. That's that's great stuff. All right, so I want to ask, what changes happened in your life um, after finding recovery?
1: I ended up meeting a lot of great people, and so I started surrounding myself with um, some really good role models and good supports. And I made that meaningful connection with people and kind of joined that community and. It, you know it was it was great and definitely finding recovery opened a lot of doors for me. Um, I am where I am right now and um, I'm able to help others and it really gave me it gave me real confidence and also gave me the ability to be a stronger parent and also a stronger community member. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. That's good. It's very good. Um. All right. So now, when I ask you, what advice would you give a person in the Native American community who is battling addiction?
1: Wow. Well, um. Something that I tell others and I I share often is, some of the best people that I know are addicts, and. Some of the worst people I know are sober and haven't probably haven't had that experience of addiction. So I mean, I think that's out there where people, a lot of people think that you know, addicts are all bad people, we're not. We're really good people. And I really truly believe that. Some of the best people I know are addicts and the worst people I know are sober.
0: I got to agree with you on that. <laughs> I do. Uh, there's a. A lot of people should hear that, <laughs> you know, again, it, it goes right back to that stigma and those stereotypes about people who have this disorder. That's not the person. That's uh, an, an existing condition that they have. It's not the person. It's not the character. Those are characteristics of, of a illness. Um, all right. So what advice would you provide for someone in a Native American community who is seeking recovery, who's actively seeking uh, recovery?
1: I, I would just be totally honest that it's, it's, a, it's a healing process and it's also a very difficult process. Um, things aren't just magically going to be um, fixed in your life. You're still going to have to do a lot of work on yourself. Um, you're probably going to have to mend a lot of things in your community, um, in your family, with personal relationships. Um, it's definitely a lot of work, and um, there, there's going to always be struggles throughout your life. And once you find recovery, um, you're going to find the tools that you need to get through them, um, rather than you know going over them or around them or avoiding them, you'll be able to get through them. And um, there's there's definitely a lot of strength and recovery.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's very good advice because that's what we did initially during our time of using, avoiding those situations and, and that healing process uh, and those feelings, we just deadened them. I mean, you know, so it is a difficult, but uh, possible, uh, extremely very possible, uh, to to overcome all right all right here's my last question is there anything else that you'd like to say uh that we haven't discussed today
1: sure um i think for especially our native american communities um you know we you know our numbers are really high when it comes to um issues such as like suicide um drug use Mental health issues, and so it's just really, um, you know, those numbers are terrifying. And we we live we live in these communities, and you know, these are the people that we love, and we care for, and we want to help them. And I just I can't help but not think to 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 actually think that. you know, there was a point in our history where we didn't have drugs and we didn't have alcohol and it was just introduced to our communities and it just, it's there and it's still there. And, you know, it's not, and this just isn't for Native American communities, but, you know, drug use and alcohol use, it's not meant for all of us. And I think that's a reality, you know, a lot of people in, in on an individual level, they just need to realize, you know, like, hey, maybe this isn't meant for me and this isn't the right. life that I'm supposed to lead.
0: Yeah, that's the very realization that I came to. <laughs> what am I doing? This is not me. This is not who I am. This is not the life I'm supposed to be be leading. Feel like you were watching me from a distance and you know i really like that. It. it's good stuff you had to say marissa i appreciate it i want to thank you for being here today and all your wisdom and knowledge uh perspective and views on uh substance use disorder within the community uh experience with with substance use disorder and alcoholism and stigma it was a great interview i really really enjoyed uh, having you here today thank you so much all
1: right Mikos for having me
0: my pleasure definitely All right, everybody, please tune in uh, in the future for other podcasts from Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, Sober Podcast, Stories of Badgers and Power Recovery. Have a great day.